Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations. And if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcast, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and at any online book retailer you prefer. Check it out today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand, both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Rick Denley is the founder of Peak Performance Leadership Services and a keynote speaker and the author of the book, Reinvent Yourself, Personal Positive Growth Through Any Mess, Movement, or Mission. I love someone who's willing to use the word mess in their book title. (laughs) Peak Performance Leadership Services brings over 25 years of experience in organizational sales, strategy, and people leadership. Some of the areas that we focus in are keynote speaking, sales growth initiatives, sales process implementation, sales team assessment, personal action plan creation, meeting and training facilitation, and compensation program development. A lot of tools and activities that Rick is providing in the business workplace. Hello, Rick. Hi there, Ed. Thanks for having me on your program. Thanks for being here. And I took a yeoman's effort to uh, tell us a little bit about you, but could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and really what you do today and why you do it? Thanks, Ed. Yeah, you know, thanks for that introduction. I left corporate world after, well, a few decades working and leading multinational organizations, but my passion has always been leading individuals along with their businesses, that mix. And what I do now is really help grow both individuals and organizations. And a lot of times it's from the sales area because I've always been a sales leader. In fact, carried the bag for many years myself to gain that experience. But now I help people implement the necessary skills, tools, and knowledge to grow their organizations exponentially. Fantastic. And it sounds like it comes from not only your experience with current clients, but your own experiences in the workplace. Well, it does. You're right. After many years, you you really formulate some some plans and from your successes and even more from your failures, you learn. And that's what I'm trying to give back both in the book and with my organization now, Peak Performance. Well, fantastic. So I read your book. I love the stories that you told and the way that you told them. There's a couple of quotes and a couple of kind of concepts or models that I'd love to call out if I can do that. Yeah, and thank you for reading the book. I, I appreciate that. Sure. And again, it's called Reinvent Yourself. And you know, on page 37, you're talking a little bit about how, and I'm a big, big fan of the word action, because so often the challenge that clients have is moving from an idea 
which sounds great or sounds easy, yes. to action, which is hard, right? <laughs> it takes time to do. And you start it with a quote from Tony Robbins, who says, the pathway to success is to take massive, determined action. And the reason I love that, and I know you didn't write this book with the concept of bravery in mind, but you know <laughs> that's one of the places that people need to play in order to be brave, is to recognize that what they're about to do takes really massive, determined action. Can you share with us a little bit about why you picked that quote and what you were thinking? Yeah, you know what, Ed, I picked that quote because I really like the two main areas in it. First off, we're not talking here about Kaizen approach of incremental small changes. We're looking at something which in the book I use the term, people are familiar, BHAG, right? Are you familiar with that term, Ed? I am. Right. Yeah. Big, hairy, audacious goals. Let's go big here when we're looking at change. And that's what that massive piece is. The determined action, to your point, if there's not a call to action, nothing gets done. It's like having the most incredible strategy, spit and polished and beautiful and leaving it on the shelf to get dusty. Right. The proof is in when we execute. And that's the action piece. And it's why I wrote the book as well, because a lot of people don't know this, but I'm actually a recovering engineer. Okay, so my first degree out of <laughs> my, school. My condolences. Is it? Yeah. So my first degree out of school was engineering. And throughout my life, I've had those two sides of the brain. Um, I got them both working together now. They used to fight against each other, but they're all firing on the full cylinders now going forward. So I came up with a formula that's in the book for success, successful change and reinvention. And believe me, it wasn't through all my successes. It was more through my failures. And that's what people have to realize too, is that failures will come first before successes. But if we don't start taking as TR says, those massive determined action, nothing will happen. Well, I love the concept that you've just presented, which of course could be a whole nother podcast, which is about taking a strategic plan from again, design and thought and idea to action. And st statistics are numerous in the world in respect to the volume of people who fail at taking a strategy from an idea or a plan or a document or a PowerPoint to action. And I think for many folks, it does require bravery, bravery to either reflect on how we're doing in respect to executing the strategy, which may not be well, to getting that strategy, you know, implemented at all. Right. It's true. And, you know, you speak about bravery and, and it's brilliant, but you've heard the saying too, bravery is not the absence of fear. In my eyes, in my book, I talk about how you harness that fear energy and use it in your positive direction. Okay. I mean, everybody has fear, regardless of what type of change you're going through, there's going to be some fear involved. And in the workplace, it can be huge. And you know, the interesting part of it is that when we think about change and harnessing that change, there's really only two types, isn't there? There's the type of change that we say, boy, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to go in this different direction and I'm going to hold myself accountable for that change. Then there's the change that comes our way that we didn't ask for. And that's a tougher one, isn't it? Because you can say, well, poor me, woe is me, what, why did this happen to me? But in either case of change, we need to get out in front of it and lead it. And that's where the bravery part comes in. Even if we're fearful, we've got to harness that fear going forward. Well, I agree that fear is everywhere. This is one of the reasons we started this podcast was to help kind of normalize the experience that people have associated with bravery, because I believe that everyone 
in their work environment. I do not say this often because I don't think everything exists all the time, but everyone has felt a moment where they needed to be braver than they were. And unfortunately, they look back with regret and say, gee, I wish I had said something or done something. Or they were brave in respect to what they did as it related to the workplace. And so, you know, I love that acknowledgement, right? That Fear is everywhere, and it is something that we all experience. You're right, and you use the right term. In the book, I talk about four steps to harnessing that fear energy. And the first one is, like you said, acknowledgement. The second one is to interrogate that fear. Where is it coming from and why? Third step is to seek some alternatives to reduce the fear. You might not eliminate it, but you can reduce it. And then finally, like you talk about here, and take action. What are the actions you're going to take? And, and, you know, that's the bravery part right there. You know, it's facing and altering that fear energy into a positive one for yourself. You know, and if I can give you an example in the workplace when, when I had to be brave. Sure, please. You know, and it was in those wonderful years, if everybody remembers, of 2008 and nine. And I left the corporate world for the first time to take on an entrepreneurial and ownership portion of an organization. And then the downturn hit, the recession hit. And boy, let me tell you, a lot of us needed to be brave and step up at that time because people were out of work, companies were folding, not a lot different than what we're experiencing lately with this pandemic. Very similar situations. So I had to harness that fear of the company failing after I just bought into it and took it over and turn that into a positive. And how we did that was several ways, including very clear communication. Yeah, absolutely. And ironically, two things. One, I also started my practice in 2008. So I know we connected for a reason. So maybe that's one of them that we both found 2008 as a year of transition for us. Yes. And then this topic of communication is the next section of your book that I wanted to talk about it is in the same chapter as the Tony Robbins. Yeah. But you, you give four tips for things to keep in mind for breakthrough communication, which I think apply beautifully to a conversation that requires bravery. And the first one point that you make is before any conversation, try to identify as many potential differences and definitions, experiences, and perspectives, which might lead to difficulties or misunderstandings later on. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, if I need to have a conversation with my boss about something my boss is doing that is not having a positive impact on the team, how identifying potential differences might be helpful. You're right. Well, it's as simple as putting yourself in that person's shoes. And we talked just briefly a little bit, and it's something that I coach and teach as well, individuals and organizations, is emotional intelligence. And as we know, there's two sides to that. There's ourself with emotional intelligence and understanding ourselves, the way that we respond, communicate, and act. And then there's understanding others. The better we understand others before we start into a conversation and try and communicate something to them, the better our results will be if we fully understand them. Okay. You know, you know, it's really important to do that. And George Bernard Shaw said the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. We believe that we communicate extremely well, of course, but we don't often. And that's, that's a real problem. So initiating that conversation with anybody, think about who you're speaking to. Don't think that it's a clear message because you understand it. Get to understand how they're going to perceive and receive the information that you're sharing with them. The next comment is listen carefully and thoroughly to what the other person says in response to you and have them do the same. Often we are so focused on what we will say next, we don't fully listen to what the other is saying to us. This is such a true observation and so critical in a conversation that requires bravery. 
Right. You're right. It does require bravery to do that because a lot of times we're not listening to what they're saying back to us. We're onto our scripted next line. We're thinking about what we're going to say next before we hear from them. The idea of a bi-directional conversation is that the other person gets to share as well, and you need to listen to that. It's very difficult, especially for salespeople. I've learned over the years and business people to gain this concept. You can't go in with scripted, complete slides and pitches for people because it may not go that route. They may bring up a point that you didn't anticipate. You need to listen to that, absorb it, and respond to that point, not just carry on with whatever your thoughts were. So listen really well. You know, we've got two ears and one mouth, and we need to use them in ratio. <laughs> and I think it just speaks to a behavior that I think is very compelling, which is really ensuring that you recognize that it's not everything you have to say to the person that's important, but how they're interpreting what you're saying and what their thoughts and beliefs and reasons and rationale are for whatever it is that they're doing that prompted you to have the conversation. If you go in only prepared to say what you need to say, as if the other person is going to sit there and say, yes, I agree, I agree, you're going to be sadly disappointed because they oftentimes, to your point, may have aspects to the situation that you didn't consider and that goes back to your first point to think about, you know, what reasons might this be happening and uh, what other ways might this person be operating that could be helpful? Right. And you may have to ask for clarity on how they responded to you. The nice thing about that is as well, they realize, yeah, he actually listened to me. He didn't just come in to pitch something in a monologue, but he did listen to me and ask for more details on what I was responding to. You know, when I get on stages in front of hundreds of people and I'm presenting the concepts of reinvention, and I'm sharing my stories, they are not thinking about my stories as much as they're starting to think about themselves. How does this impact them? How can they gain from this? And that's what you want the audience to do because it's about them, not me. And it's the same thing in a conversation like this. And you have to realize that they're thinking about themselves now. How does this impact me? What is in this for me? And those are the things you'll have to address if you want to communicate clearly. And you reference, I think, the third point I wanted to call out, which is to ask questions when you think they might have misunderstood you. For example, did that make sense or was I clear And how I shared it with you, ensuring that the person understands, as you said, you know, that George quote about, you know, communication is something that doesn't happen as often as we'd like it to happen. Um, uh, you know, are, are they understanding what it is that you want to say and helping, you know, really that helps you make progress, right, in respect to to moving forward. Absolutely. Read body language as well. Get very good at reading and understanding others, their body language, their responses, their reactions to things. You can tell if they either absorbed the information, were confused by it, or maybe didn't even like it. And ask good questions like, you know, tell me a little bit more about what I just shared with you and how you, how you feel about it or how it'll impact you. If they can reiterate it back to you, they have a strong understanding of what you shared with them. If they can't, you have to go at it on a different way and a different angle. And I tell people too, not, communication is not just verbal. You know, for me, if I didn't have a large whiteboard in all the offices that I've ever worked in, including my home office, it'd be like taking away my hands. I need to be able to visualize and draw pictures. People learn and communicate in different ways. Listen, I'll tell you, Ed, when I was in school, the only way we communicated was in tests, which were large essays and things. And that wasn't my forte. And I didn't do that well in that environment. When I could get out and express myself in other ways, in speaking 
and communicating, that's when I flourished. So we have to understand the best way that the other person is going to absorb our information when we're communicating. Well, Rick, I do want to jump ahead in your book a few pages where you talk a little bit about the, you know, kind of facing your fears and, you know, kind of the four types of fears that might be out there. And these, I think, at least a couple of these relate to why we are not as brave as we need to be in the workplace. And the first one you talk about is the fear of being wrong. I think a lot of people don't say what needs to be said or don't do what needs to be done because they're afraid that they might be wrong. And Nobody wants to be wrong, right? As a business corporate person, I want to be right all the time. Well, so tell us a little bit about that. We would think that would be the case, but that comes from leadership as well. When I had the opportunity to lead people, and now when I work with entrepreneurs and other sales and company leaders, I have to get them to understand that communicating the fact that it's okay to be wrong or make mistakes, keep them minimal, and then go from there. Listen, good leadership, Okay, we don't always make the right decisions but we make our decisions right. Understand that there is a comeback from failure. You pick yourself up and a learning. So being wrong is not the worst thing in the world. You know what's worse than that, Ed? Is sticking to it with a large ego. Once you're wrong, admit it and move forward. And you know what? That, that type of humility in front of others will make you a much better leader as well. When I worked with staff and individuals and, and management that I had, I would share with them, I want you to make decisions. If you make decisions and you get 60, 70% of them right, I'm happy. But if you're not brave enough to make any decisions, nothing will happen. Nothing will change. No progress will happen. So don't be afraid to fall down. That's not a bad thing. Yet it's so challenging in most corporate environments. And I think this is also true in politics because it's so visible to us. It's very hard for senior leaders, especially more senior leaders. So the higher you go up the food chain to president, CEO, to admit you've made a mistake, to admit you thought about something wrong, to admit there was there could have been a better way to do it. They almost would create alternative stories or other rationales and spend effort and energy on that versus just saying, you know what, I think we could have done this a little bit better. Next time, here's what we're going to do. To me, that's easier than creating empathy around uh, why it didn't happen the way that it should have. Right. And the ability to pick yourself up and look at things and learn from them is much better off than trying to be 100% correct in all the decision and change that you make, because you won't be eventually. So that adaptability is one of the biggest characteristics that people can learn and improve on. How do they adapt to change? How do they adapt to failure and pick themselves up and keep moving forward? The other fear you mentioned is fear of failing. And I think this is another barrier that people have to being brave in the workplace because they are afraid that it won't go well or it won't achieve what they hoped it would achieve. Tell us a little bit about this kind of fear of failing, Rick. Well, fear of failing means that you're not pushing yourself to your limit. If you stay within your comfort zone, your sweet spot where you know you're successful all the time, that won't move you ahead at all. And change is about moving ahead. And when we move ahead, yeah, you may fail on occasion. But what we teach people is that you want to fail early and often in moving forward. And you say, well, well, what does that mean? Well, listen, fail early and often and get it out of the way and then move forward. And that can be in the business world and it can be in life. Look, when I started the charity boxing matches that I'm in now to fight and bring awareness to cancer, do you think I didn't fail? Often. <laughs> you, you won every fight you were in, right? 
Well, but that's just on the winning side. But <laughs> my sparring matches didn't go so well then. <laughs> and I'd get put up against people who I thought I could compete with and beat and so on. And I didn't, but I learned from it. And learning in that environment early on and frequently meant that when it came to showtime, I was prepared. Nobody gets there without some failures. Right, right. And that to me is cultural that, you know, you might be somebody who is okay to fail as a way to learn and get better. But if your culture and environment doesn't support it, your likelihood of doing it is significantly diminished. Yeah. When I meet people who say they never failed and so on, then they've never pushed themselves to their limits because they haven't found their limits. You only find your limits when you surpass them. And you only surpass them when you fail. And when you fail, then you know your limits. People who have never failed, they're missing out on this massive experience. Well, I don't think those people really exist. So maybe in their minds, they think they've never failed, but I think they've exist. But Rick, it's barely been great chatting with you today. And I'm curious, are there ways that folks can get in touch with you if they'd like to hear more about your book, Reinvent Yourself, or your business, keynote speaking, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on, Ed, for your listeners as well. They can reach out to me on any of my social media platforms. Uh, on social media, you'll find me mainly on my website at www.rickdenley.com. Got all the information about my services, my books, some nice uh, stories on there as well that they might. Listen, Ed, I just want to share with your, your, your listeners as well here. It's something they always must remember. They're braver than they believe, stronger than they seem, and smarter than they think. What a beautiful ending, Rick. Thank you so much. Great to be here, Ed. Great. It was great speaking with you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and our download and listen to our podcast on Apple, Google, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, who you can reach at 800 800- 222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available everywhere online. If you have something to say yet are not saying it, if you have something to do yet are not doing it, now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week. <laughs>